Good morning. Um, I think we have about uh, 25 uh, high school students and leaders who have been uh, involved in, um, in uh, the long weekend. Are you all here? <laughs> They've been working with our ministry partner, um, Upper 90, uh, cleaning a soccer field, painting some houses, doing a lot of great and wonderful things. Anyhow, thank you all for your service. Before we begin our message, um, I want to acknowledge the, uh, the pain and the, the, the sorrow that has uh, been over our nation with the release of the, of the Tyree Nichols uh, videos, especially for the city of Memphis. Um, and I'd also like to join us together in prayer for their family and for our nation. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, pray for Tyree, that you rest his soul and that you comfort his family. Lord, I pray that you would give his family the supernatural ability uh, to forgive uh, so that they're not overcome with grief and bitterness. Lord, I pray for justice and I pray for peace uh, for the city of Memphis and for our nation and our world, Lord. I acknowledge that we are far from where you would have us be what you created us for, and we look forward to your redemption when you'll make all things right and you'll wipe away every tear. Lord, have mercy on us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Our passage, our text for my message uh, this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. Feel free to read along in your Bibles if you'd like. It should be up there. Uh, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit of the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, my name is Nate Smith. I serve here as our executive pastor. Uh, I'm also trained as a medical doctor, uh, specializing in infectious diseases and public health. And early in my medical career, uh, one of my heroes was a man named Dr. Paul Brand. Uh, Dr. Brand was a hand surgeon. He worked for many years in India, uh, working specifically with those suffering from leprosy or Hansen's disease. And he pioneered new techniques for making their uh, lives uh, more functional. In the last 20 years of his career, he came to the United States and served as chief of the rehabilitation branch at the National Hansen's Disease Center in Carville, Louisiana. Dr. Brand also wrote some books, and uh, one of those is entitled Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. 
And in that book, he expands on the analogy between the physical body and the spiritual body of Christ, the church. Uh, that was a book that I read early on and inspired me in my uh, ministry, both in medicine and in ministry. In the first part of that book, in the early chapters, uh, Dr. Brand um, uh, contrasts the human body with a fascinating creature called a slime mold. And if you're not familiar with that, uh, we, have a, we have a picture there. There we go. Okay. Uh, there are actually hundreds of different types of slime mold. This particularly photogenic uh, slime mold is taken from the National Geographic uh, website. So if you want to learn more about slime molds, you can Google it and, and go there. A slime mold is a very interesting creature because it's actually composed of single-celled amoeba that normally live on their own, and they're microscopic, and they just kind of blob around. But every so often, they come together, and thank you, taking it down in case that was making anyone sick to their stomach. <laughs> they come together uh, and form this slime mold, this, this organism, and uh, it produces spores, and they, uh, they spread and make uh, new, new amoebas. Uh, and then the amoebas just go their own separate ways. This whole process takes about eight hours. Um, so it's a very, very fascinating and interesting creature. Um, unfortunately, it's also a pretty good analogy for what happens in a lot of our churches. You've got a lot of folks out there who kind of look the same and kind of uh, act the same. And, and every so often, once a week, they come together and, and they, uh, they form a, a single organism. And then, then when they're done, they go back to their separate lives with very little to connect them. The problem is God didn't call us to be the slime mold of Christ. He called us to be the body of Christ, right? There's some fundamental differences between our human bodies and a slime mold. For one, in our bodies, the cells aren't just the same. They have different forms and functions. They look different. They act differently. Yet, each of them are part of the same organism in a way that the amoeba in a slime mold can never, can never be. Dr. Paul Brand calls this community that we experience in our physical bodies the ecstasy of communion. I love that term. The cells in our body, they nurture each other. They protect each other. They sacrifice for each other. <clears throat> Not so in a slime mold. And our cells are permanently connected. Uh, they, don't, uh, they don't disband after the job is done. <clears throat> Dr. Brand wrote, the body of Christ, like our own bodies, is composed of individual, unlike cells that are knit together to form one body. He is the whole thing. And the joy of the body increases as individual cells realize they can be diverse without becoming isolated outposts. This is uh, our first point here. We are called to be a community of diversity in unity. There we go. We have different gifts, different forms of service, different activities, wisdom and knowledge, faith and healing, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. We're diverse in our personalities. We're diverse in our gifting. We're diverse in our experiences and our perspectives. The church in Corinth was not only diverse in its gifting, but it was also diverse ethnically and economically. Jews and Greeks, 
slave and free. Now, if you think about the Jewish people and, and the Greeks in the first century, it's hard to imagine two people groups that were more unlike each other. Uh, Jews believed in one God, Greeks believed in many gods. Uh, most Jews at that time followed a fairly, uh, fairly strict rule of life concerning how they dressed, how they ate, uh, especially their relationships between men and women. The Greeks, uh, not so much. Uh, particularly the city of Corinth was known for its sexual immorality. In those days, to be said to live like a Corinthian meant that you were sexually immoral. Uh, they had a temple to the goddess Aphrodite and, that had more than a thousand temple prostitutes. They were all out in their sexual immorality. Imagine bringing these two groups, Jews and Greeks, into the same congregation. The city of Corinth, as a political and economic center of the Roman Empire, wouldn't have just had Jews and Greeks per se. They would have had Roman citizens from throughout the Roman Empire. Not only that, they would have had others, visitors, traders, uh, from North Africa, from Asia, from other parts of Europe. When these people all came together as part of the church, it made for a rich and diverse congregation, but also probably many challenges. They were also economically diverse. The city of Corinth in the first century was known as a wealthy city, and where you have wealth, you have disparities. You can imagine slaves with a very different social and economic status as opposed to those who are free and prosperous. Great disparities within the same congregation. Disparity, uh, uh, diversity is a wonderful thing. It, um, it produces uh, many valuable uh, things for a group, but also there are many challenges. Uh, I myself live in a uh, racially diverse household. Um, my wife and my father-in-law are both originally from Vietnam, and my four children are adopted from Kenya. Um, and uh, I would not have experienced life or understanding of the world in the same way if I did not live in such a diverse household. Uh, but there are also challenges, some of them humorous and some uh, more serious. Um, uh, for example, when I go to my refrigerator, there are many things in there that I, I cannot identify. <laughs> when God provided bread from heaven in the wilderness, the Hebrews called it manna, which means what is it? So I can say that my refrigerator and my pantry are are filled with manna from heaven. <laughs> On the more serious side, um, my children have experiences uh, that, I, that I have no context for. When my daughter uh, shared with me the challenges of being one of only three or four black students in the honors college uh, in her university, I didn't have any life experience to draw upon, although I could hear her emotion and listen to her experiences. Diversity in the workplace brings in uh, a rich variety of perspectives and experience, uh, but being in a diverse setting means every day coming and having your basic fundamental assumptions of how the, work, the world works uh, challenged. Uh, diversity is not easy, yet diversity is what enables us to do and to be more. If you imagine the functioning of a human body compared to that of a, of a slime mold. Um, it makes a difference. 
Our commitment to diversity here at Trinity, though, is not just because it makes sense and it's a good idea, or even because it's uh, particularly trendy. Uh, diversity is God's idea. This is how he made us. This is how he made our human bodies, but also, more importantly, how he made our redeemed community, the spiritual body of Christ. To hold that diversity together, though, requires meaningful relations, relationships, and we are called to be connected through meaningful relationships. There's one spirit, one Lord, one body. We have the same spiritual DNA. We belong to each other. We're called to each other in more than a loose affiliation like a slime mold. We're called to deep and trusting relationships. Our human bodies are connected. The different parts of our body, the cells, communicate with each other and coordinate their activities through a rich uh, diversity of chemical messengers, hormones, cytokines, chemokines, and neurotransmitters, and many others that I won't bore you with. We also have specialized cells that transmit electrical impulses from our brain to the rest of our body, so what I'm thinking is manifest in what I do and what I say. We have similar cells in our heart that coordinate the beating of our heart. Uh, literally, our heartbeat depends on that coordination and communication. So too, in the body of Christ, in our redeemed community, we need to be tightly coordinated, to be communicating with each other, to be bound together in meaningful relationships. This is how we live out and express our identity in Christ. We are also called to reconciled relationships. In our bodies, we have something called the immune system, and some of you may have heard of it. Uh, even if you haven't, it's working for you. Our immune system does a lot of things, but its fundamental task is to recognize self and non-self. And by doing that, our immune system is able to protect us from external invaders like bacteria or viruses, but is also able to protect us from internal threats. It turns out our immune system is very important in protecting ourselves against the emergence of cancer. And some of the most promising anti-cancer therapies are those that utilize our immune system to fight cancer cells. As an infectious disease doctor, I spent a lot of time thinking about the immune system and treating people whose immune system was impaired uh, in, from various uh, causes, especially those uh, living with HIV. In that setting, the body is unable to fight off these, uh, these pathogens externally, and uh, those individuals are also at risk for certain types of cancers. There's another type of immune disorder, though, uh, that is equally dangerous. That's the collection of diseases we call autoimmune diseases, diseases like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and ulcer ulcerative colitis. In these conditions, the immune system fails to recognize self and actually attacks the cells of our own bodies. And this is just as bad as failure to fight off external invaders. I think that is what happens sometimes within our spiritual body as well. We fail to recognize self, and we come into conflict 
with one another, either in our individual relationships or even larger divisions within churches and communities. Some of these, some of these conflicts um, are almost inevitable because of the gift of diversity that God has given us. The parts of our body do different things, sometimes complementary and sometimes those things are actually in tension with one another. When I, when I stretch out my arm and bring it back, I've got one set of muscles called the biceps and another the triceps that are in tension with one another. Now in me, they're not as big as they are with some people, but, um, uh, but they still work. And it's that tension that allows me to move my arm. On a cellular level, our bones have cells called osteoblasts that make more bone. And then they have cells called osteoclasts which tear down the bone. You can imagine how frustrating it must be for an osteoblast. I just laid down this new bone and you osteoclasts are coming and tearing it up. But if we didn't have osteoblasts, our bones would become brittle and break. And if we didn't have osteoclasts to carve out channels for the nerves and the blood vessels, our bones would die. It takes both intention. Here in our spiritual body, we also encounter these tensions as well. One of the things that we're looking at in, here in this, in this uh, particular manifestation of the body of Christ is how can we create more quiet spaces for contemplation and prayer? But at the same time, we're trying to figure out how to invite people into joyful celebration. You could see how trying to do both of those in the same time and the same place uh, could bring us into tension. The members of our staff here at Trinity have a wide variety of personalities and gifting and experience, and it makes for a wonderful mix. And we work together extremely well, but we do that um, not because of our intentionality. I would say on this, on this team, uh, some of the extremes are, are Pastor Chris and, and myself. On a personality inventory, imagine we, we tend to be at, at, at the extremes. But that's actually by design. We have different, different backgrounds, different experiences. We're able to look at the same problem from different perspectives. And we work together very well because we're bound together in a meaningful and loving relationship. Not only that, though, we have taken the time and energy to understand each other, to appreciate one another, and to accept each other. And that's how we can reconcile these relationships even before they come into conflict. But conflict is inevitable when we're doing life together in community. It's because we're sinful people saved by grace. What the common denominator is for us in the body of Christ is that we've all received the grace and mercy and forgiveness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? We also need to extend that grace, forgiveness, and mercy to each other when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, forgive us our trespasses as what? As we forgive those who trespass against us. For this community, for this body to work, requires a heavy dose of grace and forgiveness. Now out there in the world, we have a financial economy that grows when people exchange money. When they, give, when they sell and they buy, the economy grows. In here, we have a grace economy. And our economy grows when we give and receive forgiveness. 
The goal of our community as a redeemed community is not that we live in such a way that we never offend each other, we never hurt each other. That's not going to happen. The goal is that we forgive each other. We forgive each other daily. Ultimately, the rifts that we have in our community and between each other as individuals are a failure to recognize our primary identity in Christ. Like the immune system that has forgotten how to recognize the cells of its own body, we also lose that ability to recognize that we are all part of the same spiritual family. We're all part of the body of Christ. It's where we draw those lines between us and them that create our problems uh, expressed in the various isms that divide us, whether it's racism or sexism or nationalism. If we draw that circle of belonging wide, including all of us, all of those who call on the name of Christ as our family, as our spiritual family, if we live into our primary identity as beloved children of God and members of his family, then we'll find that many of these conflicts uh, become smaller, or at least they're reconcilable. We have an even larger uh, circle of belonging, though, that God has called us to. It's the circle of our shared humanity. And God has called us not just to reconciliation within the body of Christ, but also to take forward the message of reconciliation to all people, reconciling them to God and reconciling them to each other through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, this message of reconciliation to all peoples is actually itself part of an even larger mission of reconciliation. Uh, we are part of an even wider circle of belonging that includes all of creation because God indeed is in the work of redeeming and reconciling all things to him through Christ. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this work of reconciliation is part of God's big story. It's, it's his work, it's his plan. Whether it's reconciling all things on heaven and earth or reconciling us to one another or even to a family member. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid that if we try and do this work of reconciliation in our own strength, uh, we'll fail over and over again. In fact, we can even make things worse when we try and make things better. But what God has called us to do is, is not to do this work, but to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in reconciliation, reconciling within the body, but also reconciling in our larger communities and in our world. What we're called to do is to make space uh, for relationships, make space for the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, make space for us to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Now, our bodies spend a lot of energy just being a body. We call the basal metabolic rate is the amount of energy that's expended just to keep 
our bodies together as one, not doing anything at all. What it just takes to keep our bodies functioning at rest, uh, to maintain homeostasis. About 60 to 75% of our energy expenditure every day just goes to that activity because it's so important and because it takes so much work. I'm afraid when we come together as a body of Christ, as the redeemed community though, we tend to focus so much on just what we're doing rather than on just being. We need to create space. We need to expend time and energy on just being the body. Now, <clears throat> if you're like me and you're, you're not an extrovert, um, the idea of uh, making space for relationships kind of sounds exhausting. Anyone with me on that? It's like, Nate, I, I think I've already got enough stuff to do. Um, making space for ourselves and one another, which is what it means to be a community, uh, can seem overwhelming. I think it begins, though, with uh, opening ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit in, in us, uh, in, um, in, uh, particularly in renewing rest. I have to confess, I'm, I'm not very good at resting. Um, in fact, my to-do list on my days off is at least as long, if not longer, uh, than the days when I'm, when I'm on duty. Um, and so I'm learning this lesson as well. I think we um, sometimes uh, have our rest times so full uh, that we come back more exhausted uh, than we left. Anyone with me on that? Our confession time is later, but you can do it early. Um, what I'm finding for myself is I need to learn to slow down, uh, slow the pace, and also be more mindful of the activities I engage in. Are these activities going to draw me closer to God and, and to bring me back renewed so I have space for the Holy Spirit's work in building relationships? I also found that uh, there are many things that I can do on my own uh, that work just fine that way, but I could also choose them to do, do with other people. Um, I like to run, um, and I can run on my own. I can run a long time on my own, but I found that it um, works better if I run with other people. Uh, in that way, I'm able to not only make space for relationships, but also meet my own relational needs. I think we need to be intentional about building relationships, uh, making sure that we're in the time and the places that we need to be to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in building uh, meaningful and reconciled relationships. I think we also need to make space in our lives for people uh, to live lives of invitation. Uh, I have a natural bent or tendency towards efficiency. I want to try and get as much done in the least amount of time possible and preferably with the, the lowest budget. Uh, that's probably a good trait for someone who's serving as your executive pastor. <laughs> But the reality is that, that Jesus didn't come to save time or money. He came to save people. Ebenezer Elliot, in his poem, The People's Anthem, wrote these words, When wilt thou save the people? O God of mercy, when? Not kings and lords, but nations. Not thrones and crowns, but men. Flowers of thy heart, O God, are they. Let them not pass like weeds away. Their heritage is sunless day. O oh God, save the people. 
Jesus came not to die for economic security or social influence or political ideology. He came to die for people, for you and for me.